1: Hey Boiling Pointers, thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode. Before we start, Dave and I want to let you know all about our Boiling Point Process online courses, live events, and masterminds. After interviewing hundreds of leaders, we've packaged a ton of knowledge together to serve up to you, info that will help you and your company be heard in a very noisy marketplace. So visit www.boilingpointprocess.com and sign up for the email newsletter and we'll let you know when our next cohort or event is. Thanks also for supporting The Boiling Point by subscribing to us on iTunes and also leaving a rating for us. All right, welcome back to The Boiling Point. And this is yet another incredible discussion under the the partner series that we have, Shifting the Employee Experience which has graciously been brought to you by the University of New Brunswick, as well as Workplace Safety and Prevention Services. And we're so excited to have Dr. Bill Howitt here joining Dave Vale in the seat that I usually sit in. Uh, But now Greg Hemmings is behind the soundboard. And what a luxury it is to hear these conversations. So I'm going to hand it right over to you, Dr. Bill and Dave.
0: Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Greg. And um, a shout-out to our sponsors, uh, UNB. Just did it. (laughs) Did you? I missed it. We've been working. We've been doing this too long. I'm not even listening to you anymore. I apologize. Please edit all this out.
2: <laughs> so I'm the whole thing. It's all good. <laughs> oh, good. God, love you,
0: um, Dr. Bill. Good to uh, good to have you on again. Um, we're diving a little deeper. We got a great guest. We're going to introduce in a moment. Um, and and this is uh, for me a really intriguing topic. Uh, I just think in my own personal evolution, but this idea that, um, you know, authenticity and leadership in leaders and, 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 and you're connecting it in an article you shared with me that people can read um, how it promotes psychological safety. Um, love to hear your thoughts on, on the topic.
2: Thanks, David. Good to talk with you again. And I always love listen to the banter between you and Greg. It's somewhat entertaining. <laughs> um, and I use the word somewhat. Um, so for, for me, David, what I'm realizing is is that the whole space of psychological health and safety was the motivation behind this podcast and with leadership. And is it starting to evolve? And we're starting to have more, round about, more rounded questions around how do you actually create a psychological safe workplace? And ultimately, for me, it comes down to there's many different strategies, there's different practices, there's different policies you can do. And if you kind of pause it at the end of the day, perhaps one of the most important relationships that actually can facilitate psychological safety is a manager-employee relationship. It doesn't need to be much more complicated than that. If, if employees can actually feel welcomed and feel included and feel valued by their leaders, and, and these basic, basic elements can have a big impact. Big impact. Now, the challenge with that it requires leaders to be vulnerable and to realize that they don't have all the answers. For them to talk a little bit less and to ask a few more questions, for them to be patient to understand that that everyone has different talents and strengths, and not to assume that everyone can be thinking like them or have their skill sets. And it's, and it's to be open to to the possibility that when employees have a point of view that they can actually share their point of view without actually feeling that they're going to be threatened. So you look at the Aristotle project with Google, for example, around psychological safety. I found it fascinating when a company of that size goes, why are, why are different divisions winning and doing better than other divisions? Well, one of the big factors is around how employees perceive their ability to be able to have discourse, to be able to challenge the status quo, to be able to ask questions. Now, I've been doing this for 30 years. I spent 12 years on Wall Street, and and even in one, one of the things I realized in Wall Street, the first six years, no one actually believed it was safe ever to open their mouth. And the next six years, I realized that we started to shift that where people could start to actually open their mouth and have a point of view. Why is that happened? It happens because leaders are actually allowing themselves to actually be um, open to the opportunities of that, that relationship. But becoming an authentic leader and being able to understand some of the basic principles I outlined in this conversation in the article on this is, it takes a little, it's easier to say the concept than actually do it. Now pause for a minute, now we're in a pandemic, No set of instructions. We've never been in this situation before. Leadership now, I believe, is going to be really, really tested. But it's also really a wonderful opportunity for leaders to reinvent themselves now. Uh, Because I'm noticing now leaders that perhaps in calls never even said, how are you doing before? Now all these Zoom calls and conference calls are slowing down. say, how are you doing? Like it seems to be some civility. Mm -hmm. But I'll be interested in what our guest thinks about this conversation. I know they're very passionate about leadership they right. deeply care about it so we'll, we'll I'm excited to hear what they have to say
0: okay well let, let's um let's bring Stuart McLean into the conversation welcome Stuart um, we get our guests to introduce themselves. I will mention that um uh you amongst many things and you're going to introduce yourself in a second but you are an executive coach so you you know you you, you really um you know, kind of apply not only kind of the philosophy, but you've, you know, gone really deep in terms of some of the practice and that sort of thing. So Stuart, over to you, what um, little intro and, 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 you know, what are, what are your thoughts on authentic leadership?
3: Well, thank you very much. And thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Uh, I do think leadership is, is a, is a privilege. And uh, as CEO of the workers' compensation board in Nova Scotia, you know, we, we take uh, our leadership development and, being intention leaders very seriously as we try to create the conditions for success for our teams to flourish. Um, it's interesting. I I really enjoyed, uh, uh, Dr. Bill's article, um, you know, and even looking at the, the five constructs that were there, Mm -hmm. the the one that really popped for me that actually was not in there. My mind kind of works this way is that I think about what is it that's missing or what is this, this there. And the word vulnerability comes to mind. um, I believe that leaders need to be vulnerable. As I mentioned, you know, in order to create the right conditions for success, um, you need to have the right conversations. You need to have, in fact, I would say that the relationship is the conversation that you have with your staff and how you actually talk to them and how leaders talk to them and how do you actually create the right environment uh, that, that Bill spoke about in terms of encouraging open dialogue you know, speaking the truth to power. I believe that um, having a leadership philosophy as an individual is important, but then actually stepping up to that. So a lot of the things resonated for me in the article, you know, uh, I think connecting passion and mission in an organization is really important. So people feel connected. And when you have that and you have vulnerability and those things exist together, you have an opportunity to use things like storytelling, to use things like, um, listening as as you spoke about uh, David, that, you, you know, you need to be a listener and, you know, you need to use your ears and your mouth in proportion. You got two ears, you got one mouth. Well, maybe you need to use them sort of that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, there, there's some self-discipline to all of that, but as leaders, you know, how do you actually, um, what, I'll just say this one of my favorite expressions is who have you helped be successful today? And, uh, I think it's a great metaphor for, um, Um, you say that, you can say that to a caseworker, you can say it to a manager, you can say it to a politician, to a leader, to a CEO. It doesn't matter who you are. You can say it to another executive coach. We're all just trying to create the conditions for people to flourish and being authentic and being vulnerable is important to that. Um, I think storytelling is important. Um, Certainly the uh, stories are great because stories connect the hearts and minds for people that to what you're trying to get across and, Things like shared values where you have a construct for sharing, you know, how do you make your decisions and what do we want? I'll give you an example of this. In our organization, we encourage people to have candor. We encourage people to speak the truth to power. We, we encourage our leaders to be vulnerable, to share when you've made a mistake, to apologize for that, to all of those things. And I try to role model those things in our organization. So, you know, there's, there's certainly many, many facets to this. But ultimately, it really comes down to, you know, uh, I think authenticity is probably measured in different ways in different times. And I think, you know, Bill mentioned the pandemic. I think even the pandemic, how you do it is important. Um, We need some command and control from the premier, as an example, right now, maybe more so than under normal operating um, times um, in in Nova Scotia and right across in the world, in fact. But um, that doesn't mean... That we are uh you, you lose your compassion, you lose your your ability to dial it back or or if you make something do something wrong, you need to say, okay, we've reevaluated that, and you get sort of stuck in in your ways of doing things, so overall you know if if you have heart, if you have empathy, if you're vulnerable, and you create that space for teens uh, one other thing that i just before um, before i pause is is i would say. I think it's also important for leaders to, to create their, make sure that they have the right elements of best practice around this stuff. And what I mean by that is I think uh, in order to have a strong place where people flourish mentally, um, you need to encourage resilience in people. And when I say resilience, resilience can mean a lot of different things. And, and it can mean everything from getting sleep and hydration and nutrition and exercise, but it's also about being part of groups. It's about being connected with, and one of the challenges we face right now as we send people home is how do you have best practice with the 400 and some people that I have that are now working in their kitchens and in their rec rooms, and how are we going to stay connected with those people? That's a big question for all Mm -hmm. of us so that people stay involved in the conversation, that they understand they're cared for. You know, It's one thing to have health and wellness programs when you're all in the same building and you can have lunch and learn and yoga and all those things that we know about but we're being asked to reinvent ourselves during a very uh, interesting times. And as uh, I would say, you know, this is forcing innovation because the pandemic is one of the biggest disruptions that the world's had in the last hundred years. So we're all challenged with how do we do things differently? And the overlay of authenticity, I think is going to be a really important component as we try to stay connected with people, try to create, as I said earlier, if if the relationship is the conversation, how do you make sure you continue to have those conversations that they're meaningful to people and they continue to listen?
0: Yeah, mm. um, I I just wanted to to, to get Bill's thought on, on a couple of, couple of points you've made. But I just something that struck me as I I saw a wonderful piece. Um, I think it was came through through the Harvard Business Review. Uh, maybe been Forbes, I can't remember, but, um, it was, um, it was the video that, uh, the president of Marriott sent out to his people and it was, and, and, and they were breaking down his level of authenticity. Um, and it was quite brilliant. Like first off, he showed up on video, um, and he's, he's receiving cancer treatment and he, he, he talked about, you know, like about being vulnerable to, to your point, Stuart, around his current condition and the emotion in his voice, But he, but it was, it was really interesting to see his ability. And so, so Dr. Bill, like he, people don't just, to me, it would seem like it's a bit of a practice and there's a discipline to get to be you know, that place where you can be authentic is, is, would that be, is there truth to that in your opinion? Um, um, like, I don't think this, the, this particular leader just showed up one day and just said, okay, I'm going to be authentic now. Right. Like, I mean, I think that he must've maybe part of how he's wired has evolved. Um, what, what, what are your thoughts on that, Bill?
2: It's interesting you say this because this is where I think many people may not consider one thing about leadership that there is a, there is a implicit responsibility for a leader to actually like other human beings and one of the things we don't actually do in job interviews for leaders is ask them if they actually like human beings. Some people with their motive uh, motivation to get into leadership is not to serve and not to support and actually a lot of young managers don't get the joke and I'm trying to be funny on this is that their their role is to serve their team so their team can actually help them shine. Uh, their team doesn't actually serve them. The leader should serve them. And so it's a frame of reference where, where I really believe is we don't actually have authentic conversations to ask a person, why do you want to be a leader? I remember one time I was in New York, I was doing some executive coaching with some guy and I'll never forget it, he goes, these people just keep asking me questions. And I said, oh, that's interesting. Did you actually expect them to have all the answers? And he said, ah, but can't they just figure it out themselves? And I said, maybe, maybe not. Are, are you encouraging to speak to you? He said, no, I just kind of, I feel like he, he, he like basically is one of these guys that made it so painful to talk to him. Eventually his team didn't want to talk to him. And he thought that was success because no one was talking to him. Uh, but he was creating a toxic workplace, and that's why I got brought in. So my job was to help him find, I, in our world, you know, find perspective quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think, it, so to me, I think that's what we we take these terms, vulnerability. I agree with everything Stuart said. I know Stuart's a passionate uh, leader and he cares deeply about people and wants the best. And he actually wants to be a student. He's willing to learn and, and, and doesn't have to believe he knows everything. Right. Which is a part of the attribute, but it'd be interesting, David, if you kind of go back to Stuart and ask Stuart, so, so why did, why did, you know, why people become a leader may be a part of the, why we, where we start this conversation is that can actually help them understand the elements to be a really successful leader and then i'll say this to you and then i'll pass it over to you david and to Stuart, is that just because I, I why what i want to be a leader i know why i want to be a leader what am i willing to actually learn and 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 practice and the the big one is and I, I'll say this because it's important. I remember why I got became chief of staff and with a large organization in the States. And, that, and the question was, the CEO asked me, he said, Bill, you know, we want you to do this. Do you have any questions for me? I said, yeah. And he said, my father's a, a bartender's son. and So what I'm about to say may not come out so good. And he said, what is it? I said, well, if you have your head up your ass, how do I tell you? And he say, said to me, "He goes, I have not had that question before, Bill." And, <laughs> and and he said to me, "I said because I'm not going to be able to serve you if I can't challenge you,
3: right?
2: And if you're not going to create the conditions, because my job is to protect, hundred percent, yeah, you know what I mean. So pass it over to you. Well, Mister, what just, do you think I, on building a, life yeah,
0: life? I want to hear Stuart's thoughts. And I just, want, but I, I, if I could, you know, in, in the spirit of storytelling, I would like to tell a quick story where I went to visit." Stuart at his office in Halifax, um, I don't know, two years ago, maybe um, three years ago. I can't remember. Um, you know, what's interesting, though, is and, and this, this is why I think what you're talking about is so important, Stuart, is what I learned about you before I even met you. And w- one of those things was when I when I came, the security card uh, welcomed me at the door which was very kind and nice. And he asked me who, who I was here to see. And, and I said, I'm here to see Stuart McLean. He says, well, I'm going to walk you right up, you know. And and he, and he he spoke so highly of you on the elevator ride up that, um, uh, you know, uh, it the was Pan really – Well, no, he, you know what, no. But, I mean, talk about being authentic and real, right? Yeah. And, and, and so that what that told me is a lot about you and how you lead people because that wasn't set up. That was – that, and, and so 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 what you're when you talk about authentic leadership um and, and the stuff that you're you know you're doing in your organization, like I, I have a strong sense that yes, this is happening, truth to power, all these aren't just words, this is how you're showing up. And um so so w- with Bill's you know, Bill had a really I think that's a really excellent point. What what do you think about leaders like motivation? What are you noticing in your clients and in in, and in your time as CEO?
3: Well, I think what Bill said is really important and I agree a hundred percent with his comment. Um, I think in terms of learning around leadership and, and what it is to be a leader, I think a lot of us go through an evolution. Like it. when you first get the job, you might be thinking, I want status. I want to be called a manager. Oh my God, I'm going to be able to have an office or I'm going to be on the third floor or the fourth floor or whatever those different perks can look like. And I think as you evolve as an organization and or as you evolve as people um, what leaders tend that leaders who are really successful tend to understand over time is it's actually not about them. Once you lose your ego and uh, you know, Dave, you know, this as being an executive coach, you get buy-in when you ask questions. Um, as a CEO, I spend way more time listening to people. If I have any, I, I tell you just a funny, my funny story is um, we had a CEO once who worked for us and uh, he came in one day and he said they had done the lobby over to new security and stuff. And then he said, wow, this would have looked really great if it was blue. Then he went to his office. He came back a couple of days later and they had painted it blue. And he said, why did you paint it? It was already painted. And they said, well, you said you'd like blue. So, you know, what you have to be really careful about as leaders is what you, what you talk about is what mm. people believe is important. And, you know, so as an example, if I'm in an executive committee, I'm going to hear from everyone there before I actually weigh in, just because there is that positional piece. And I would weigh rather through questions, get someone to, here's where we should go. And it'd be their idea, rather than say, even if I knew right away that I had, place that, uh, I had a, a, something I was really solid on, I knew I wasn't that flexible, it, it's important for me to listen. It's important for others to get buy-in. But that whole thing about the ego, if you're worried about it being your idea or getting it, getting, uh, you know, I think um, I'm trying to remember um, at any rate, it was a, one of the books I read, but the, the the leader was talking about that. It's just, it's just not about you. It's its really got to be about everyone else around you. And that comes back to the comment I made earlier, you know, who have you helped be successful today? That metaphor is about other people. It's not about you. So I think the learning here. I'd also I'd be remiss if I didn't mention you know the elements of uh, diversity that are important here and authenticity mm. I mean I think um, more women in leadership has brought a real uh, human element to to our teams um, different perspective um, certainly emotional intelligence at least it seems to be that uh, you know women seem to that dialed in a lot better than that in many respects and you know (laughs) so we're 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 much uh much more balanced in how we think about things you know um in how you design your programs how you have your conversations how you have your values all of these things you you get much better when you realize it's actually you're doing things for other people and you're trying to create the right conditions for other people to flourish and, you know, someone said the pyramid is like this. And, uh, you know, at the very top of the pyramid, you've got the CEO. And to your point, you know, you have the security guard. He's somewhere maybe, maybe down in the, in the ranks of the organization. But you can tip that thing upside down. And the most important people are the people that I, I want. Vaughn, our security guard, mm-hmm. I want Vaughn to treat people with respect. I want him to feel welcomed. Mm-hmm. And you felt that. And I've had that comment about our security guard from many, many people. And to the point, we have, a gift, we have a gift card process that we do for people when we see good things. You know, he's a subcontractor, but I've still given him a gift card to say, like, keep up the great work, Ron. And it's just because if you notice, people notice what you notice. And, again, it comes right back for me to, to um, you know, how do you actually show that you care? How do you create conditions for people so you can, you can appreciate them? And when you see something you, you think is good that you can actually just – stop and notice it, you know, have the self-discipline to have, you know, one set, one set of behaviors. Like I think it's really important that you do the same thing when people are looking as when they're not looking. You should have a set of leadership philosophies in your own um, toolkit. And so, you know, all of those things I think are things that we need mentorship in organizations. We need people to talk to others because I can tell you when I first joined the Workers' Compensation Board in Nova Scotia many, many years ago, I'm sure that I was just going like, what can I do? And how can I get attention for it? And how can I make a difference? And how can I have an impact? And there's probably, you know, there's probably all kinds of damage that, you know, you just weren't even aware of. My mentors are what helped me build a leadership philosophy. And I think it's incumbent on all of us that have been around for a while to help the next people to understand that, you know, the the move from knowing about things to really caring about things is an important journey.
2: Well said, David. Are you an observation.
0: Yeah. Well, no, there's a bunch, um, uh, but it's just that it's almost like the evolution of the leader. It seems like we're we're you know, and and the and 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 the ability to be, I think, vulnerable is is so important. Um, what you know, for you, Bill, when you asked that 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 great question that got you hired, uh, chief of staff. Um, how do I tell you? you got your head up your ass? What what gave you the confidence to to have that kind of conversation that probably was really important um, yeah, in, yeah. in terms of some, because, because I feel like deep down, I don't tell me if you guys, what you guys think, but I think deep down, we all, anyone in a leadership position really wants straight talk deep down. Um, but it, but, but it's, but not everyone's willing to do that step up and, and, and what, what encouraged you to do it in that spot? Because, you know, someone listening, I mean, I think the the best way you can care for someone is to be honest with them, right? And sometimes that's the hardest thing to do because you don't want to hurt someone's feelings, you know, or or you're worried about the the blowback.
2: Yeah, and I think, and I'm and I'm probably I'm at a little bit of an advantage. The reason why I would do it is because you know, after all the years of doing all the counseling I've done and all the things I've done around crisis and being in situations and dealing with people, my being at that point in time, David, you know. I Howard HR is this a consulting firm. And as a consultant, one of the great things about a consultant is is that you're supposed to work yourself out of a job. Right. Um, and, and one of the things that I wanted to do was ensure that if I was going to do this job, it wasn't about getting a big paycheck. It was about doing something over a period of time as <clears throat> well as an interim basis. And I needed to make sure that I was going to actually not set myself up for failure because I'm not really, really good at being duplicitous. It doesn't work for me very well. Um, So I I just, I I just knew the guy well enough to know that if the worst case scenario, he'd have me do something else. So, because he, I knew we had somewhat of a relationship, but we were not really that close, um, you know, because he was, You know he's he's a kind of he's at the level where he's on the cover of Fortune magazine, right? So these aren't small status guys when you talk about Stewart. This is a guy with a lot of power, right? (laughs) Sorry, you know, yeah, yeah. I only got what I got, Bill. Yeah, no, but I mean it's true. I mean the reality is 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 that it's 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 about us just being uh, vulnerable. I agree with it, but David, I think the big thing I would say to you is, is we are at a point now and I'd love to get Stuart's thoughts on this as we kind of wind down our talk is that we're at a time right now where we're going to have to reinvent leadership again. Here you have Stuart and he's in his office and he has 470 people out there. And he's, he's like, the, what is the, 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 whether this is one month, Stuart, two, three, four, six, there'll eventually be an end to this. But when you start thinking what's what's, What's, what's the new leadership now? What's the coaching? What, mm-hmm. where, where, where are we going
3: with this now? So I think it's an important question, Bill. Um, the world has changed through disruption, and in, now it needs to be innovative in how we respond as leaders. There's no question about that. Um, just a couple of quick thoughts about this. Um, something you said, I just want to respond to it. Sometimes tough conversations, most times tough conversations, are exactly what's needed for people to grow. And it's not that you don't want to have the tough conversation to create a mental health because you might go, oh, my God, everybody's vulnerable. Now I'm afraid to tell people that, well, you're not doing good enough or, you know, this could have been better. So to me, it's in the how. And we've talked a little bit about that today. It is through listening. It is through setting clear expectations. You know, it's encouraging the truth to power. But you know, there's a, there's a metaphorical thing. And Dave, you would have learned this uh, in your executive coaching program that we took, a similar program, but there's no such thing as failure. There's only learning. Mm-hmm. And if you have that as sort of a frame of reference, we need people to continue to take risks. We need people to continue to push. We need people to continue to take responsibility. When, when, when the stakes are high, the impact is high if, you're in, if, you're, if you actually can get stuff done. A lot of times bureaucracies get paralyzed by being afraid Uh, to make a decision to what must my board going to think, you know, are they going to, are they going to approve? I'm going to go out on a limb here and make a decision. Oftentimes leaders need to do that. And honestly, you know, we need to, we need to actually create the space for people to do that as well. I know my board does for me and I try to do that for my employee. Am I perfect? No, not by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just another guy that goes to work every day and uh, you know, tries to do his best. But I have no doubt in my mind that if you create the right environment for people, people will flourish. People will grab the ring and go. And that's how you, you can get great things. You know, I always use the expression, I'd rather have a break. Um, I'd rather have to use a break than a gas pedal uh, when, I'm, when I'm trying to manage a person. Because you want people who are going to be inspired and that they feel good about their contribution. That they're making an impact. And I think that's, that comes back to the, the tenets of mental health bill that we've talked about so many times, that it's not just about getting sleep, getting sleep and having enough food and all those kinds of things. It's also one of the things is the connections that we make in society and how we stay connected to groups. You know, people who join uh, Facebook because they want to be connected. There's all kinds of different ways that people are connected. The challenge for us in a virtual world is utilizing things Different sets of tools, whether it's video conferencing, whether it's, I I would say to my team, over communicate. I've said to my team, every employee needs to be, we need to be in touch with them every day. Every day, someone gets a phone call. You know, I've made the mistake early in my career of not managing an individual close enough, letting them just sit for weeks at a time and uh, not giving them feedback. And you know that that didn't end well for that individual because they stopped working and basically, you know, it it didn't end well. When I look back at that in my career, that was on me. That was my problem. And I need to I need to own that. And even that story is important for our employees to understand that we need to stay connected. Your job as a manager is to make sure that your staff have what they need to do what they need to do to, to do their best work. If that means risk taking. You need to create the environment. You need to create the culture. People need to have shared values, understand uh, a construct for how you make decisions. And then we just need to get to it. And we need, we need to forgive people. And we need, to, we need to be human. We need to be authentic as we encourage open dialogue and try to become a new organization that's a little different than where we've been in the past.
2: Yeah, well said, Stuart. I I agree. I think this is a time this is this is this is a time to get a little bit more human and human. I think it's going to be I agree with you. And it was interesting, Stuart. I'm starting to see The other side of this, too, I think this is where leadership um, need to get ready for some things they're not going to be used to. For example, they're going to have more angry employees to deal with because they're going to be stressed at home with their kids and dealing with that world. We're going to to start losing people. We're at a tipping point right now where this disease has the opportunity to start taking some lives and family and friends. And suicide. I've de- I'm, de- I'm dealing with my first suicide this week where someone lost their job and went home and drove a car into somebody and killed himself. And so we're going to have leaders now where we're, my sense, Stuart, is they're going to need to have some extra thinking around basic crisis interventions. Uh, getting ready for these tough conversations that are going to happen. This is not all going to be lollipops and honey beet trees. We're going to be dealing with the human factors. It's going to be There's going to be some brilliant learning and innovation out of this, and there's going to be some pain, and leaders need to get ready for both.
3: Yeah, I would also add to that, Bill, if you think about the crisis we're in right now, and you think about the healthcare workers across the world, and you think about PTSD, which has been something that first responders have to deal with on a regular basis. I know this is kind of getting a little bit, but you talk about how things are changing from a mental health perspective. People in their day-to-day work are going to be exposed to things, that, you know, it's happening in New York right now where they don't have enough beds. They're making life and death decisions every day that are mm-hmm. impacting people's lives. And there, there's, a, there's a, a price to pay for that. Just like mm-hmm. there's a price to pay for someone who has to go to the emergency on the highway when, when there's been an accident and there's a bunch of fatalities and someone mm-hmm. has to be the first on the scene. There's a price to pay in society for that. So, you know, depending on the nature of the, of the role and the, and the way we actually in organizations support our people, building resilience, having them understand the early signs of problems with mental health. You know, these things are going to be mission critical for us. We need to build muscle and capacity in organizations to support our people, to have ways for people to communicate. And, you know, this whole let's talk and we need to role model that, you know, I think it's important for us to say that, you know, it's important for me to say as a leader, I know what depression feels like. I felt it before. And the way I manage it is this, this, and this, and it's going to be a different management protocol for every different person. Mm -hmm. But quite frankly, there's a whole bunch of things that are going to be different coming out of this new world order. And, you know, this, this is going to challenge us. This is going to challenge us. This pandemic is going to challenge us globally around how people come out of this encouraging to stay resilient, to stay strong, even the financial crisis, the impact on people, not being able to work, not be able to be their provider. These Mm -hmm. are, these are real strains as even a lot of uh, people's workforces get smaller and then get bigger again, that process of having to lay someone off that you care about, that you've Mm -hmm. made part of your family, that you've created connections with, those are difficult conversations for leaders too.
2: Mm -hmm. And all of this,
3: all of this has a price to pay. There's a price to pay Mm -hmm. for all of it.
2: It was interesting, Stuart. Uh, You just said something that I'd like to make sure a tag on, see if you have a quick comment on it, is that, I happened to be talking to a large employer yesterday, with about sixty thousand employees, and they said, "Bill, what do we need to do?" And I said, "Well, I said, do you know what the algorithm for physical health is?" And they said, "Well, what do you mean? What's the algorithm?" I said, "Exercise, diet, rest, relaxation, and lifestyle choices." Yeah, and he goes, "Yeah." So, what's the algorithm for mental health? He goes, "I have no idea." I said, "Physical health, mental fitness, and social connections." Your your challenge now will be to ensure that every one of your employees understands what they can do with intention that can actually help them offset their risk for uh, mental health challenges, which people need to understand we're not talking about mental illness. We're talking about their ability to start to erode. So in other words, if people, Stuart, you know this, if people stop showering in the mornings, start skipping their breakfasts, start changing their routines, start staying up a little bit later, having a couple more drinks, being a little bit shorter with people and they start shifting their patterns as ways to start to compensate. That's, that's erosion versus leaning into it with purpose, waking up in the morning, got to do my pushups. I need to get on my Stairmaster. I got to have my smoothie. I need to get ready. I got my calls. I want to get clean and and dress and get ready. You know, even though I'm sitting here in my t-shirt and shorts, I'm an old gym phys ed guy, but I was showered today and I've done my exercise today and I've had my shake and, I've had my coffee and my water and and I have my, had my vitamins and I have my journal. I did my journaling this morning. So it's being mindful. I think people like you, Stuart, if there's a call out for all for CEOs is does don't talk about it, give employees the opportunity to give the tools because many employees don't have a clue how to build mental fitness.
3: Yeah, I agree but, with that state. I agree with that sentiment. I would say that um, health and wellness is, is something that, um, You know, a lot of people talk about, but we haven't had it figured out very well. Like, you know, everybody has a yoga program or you can go for a walk program, some of those things. But how we think about the work, you know, we have to give up some control in some way of, you know, everybody's going to be in one spot and we're going to watch them all day. It's very different than (laughs) they're going to be at home and we're going to hope that they stay connected and do their work. That's a very different model. Mm -hmm. Similarly, you know, when you have a factory, you can control a lot about what people do, walk within these lines, wear your personal protective equipment. But when you end up with multiple job sites all over the place, it becomes more challenging. And I think the the whole thinking around we're gonna, you know, need best practices from from people like you, Dr. Howitt, that help us understand, you know, how do we respond? There's a continuum for me in health that is physical and mental. And I think we do a really good job of the strains and sprains and bruises and we try to prevent them. We have prevention programs and Generally in Canada, things are 40, probably 35%, 40% better than they were if you went back 10 years ago. But on the mental health continuum, this is where our opportunity is. This is where things are different. And as I said earlier, I think the globe is going to be challenged around mental health with all of the different strains and stresses that this pandemic is going to cause us. And I think we, have, we don't have a lot of time to think about that. We've got to get to action right away. I agree with you on that sentiment.
2: Yeah,
0: um, yeah. Well, this this is uh, like like all these conversations. I mean, there's so much more to say. There's so much, you know, mm-hmm. kind of. There's so many, so many um, uh, facets of this conversation. But Stuart, I just so appreciate you sharing your perspective. Um, you know, and and I must, I mean, people can't see this, but you are wearing a crisp white shirt uh, in your <laughs> probably in your home office, so you're looking rather dapper compared Trust to dress for me success, in, Dave. Yeah, that's right. I gotta, I gotta <laughs> those are the important tips. Um, yeah. we want, we want to make sure this gets out yeah. to, to all the, all your clients and, and they hear your perspective. So that's part of our mission to get this out in this whole conversation and this podcast, um, that in Bill's introducing, uh, me and others and, and the business community to, you know, shifting that experience for the employee, but it starts with, with our leaders and authentic leadership. So, um, Greg's going to jump in. He's going to wrap us up. Um, actually, I'm going to get a final takeaway from Bill and then, and then a wrap-up from, uh, from uh, Greg.
2: Yeah, I think the big one when I listen to Stuart is, is that uh, we never probably said it. I, I think Stuart would agree with it because he's, he actually made a point I want to highlight. Leaders being authentic is wonderful. All the things we said is great. Uh, leaders need to also make sure they're taking care of their own self care right now. So it's not only are what they're doing in regards to supporting other human beings, they need to actually show up for themselves and focus on their own mental health and do their own self care and some self compassion right now will go a long way. Um, There's going to be, and uh, there's going to be times we may not actually have all the answers to, and we don't need to have all the answers. We need to, I love what Stuart said, communicate, 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 we did my video blog this morning with the conference board of Canada and it was talk, 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 talk. And so we're going to be doing lots of things. Uh, This will be going out. So the conference board, we're doing daily video blogs, uh, CCSE. We're doing a weekly free webinar on mental fitness with talent Canada. We're doing uh, an eight part series in crisis management for folks, the mental health commission of Canada. We have some things we're going to be kicking in. We've created a website on W, uh, on WorkSafe, our partner in this. We'll make sure we share that, Dave. It's important um, to provide free tools. Uh, I'll make sure what what we're doing, I'll share with Stuart as well. Um, It's just this is a time for us all to step up and do as much as we can to support each other and uh, take care of all the details later about this. Let's invest in each other right now. We're going to need it. Lots of us have not spent two weeks in isolation. Uh, 12 weeks from now is a different place. Um, so we just got to be patient and tolerant. This is not going to go away. Uh, I, all the epidemiologists I've talked to, unless they come up with a vaccine, this will be in our ecosystem for the next 12 to 18 months. Uh, it doesn't mean it's going to be cata- the, what we're doing this for. And everyone needs to be clear. we're doing this for is to protect the vulnerable, but we're also realizing it gets the, the kids in between, you know, I call them kids, but young people between the ages of 18 to 35, those are 50% of those folks are ending up on respiratory assistance. Um, so this is a really serious one. We can't, we just can't scoff this one and employers, employers need to be there for the long one, David.
0: Well said so greg over to you we'll wrap this up uh some good resources and uh and big thanks to again to stuart for coming on
1: thanks stu thank you yeah and guys what a pleasure what an important discussion thank you so much stu really appreciate you having uh uh or sharing your your insights uh today and uh and Bill and Dave, yet another incredible discussion on shifting the employee experience. It's interesting how these conversations have been, uh, uh, the last few days, have been so focused on uh, on COVID. I'm so, I'm so glad they have been because this impacts every, every uh, layer of leadership uh, in our world. So uh, uh, great, great dialogues. And we also want to say a big thank you to our sponsors, Workplace Safety and Prevention Services at the University of New Brunswick. And please do share this episode out into your networks. Uh, as you all know, this has been an amazing conversation that other people need to hear. And please do subscribe to the Boiling Point podcast on iTunes or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And until uh, next time, keep that pot boiling. David, Bill, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Greg. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.
2: Thanks, everybody, for your help. Talk soon.
1: Thanks for listening to the special partnership edition of the Boiling Point podcast. The podcast that we're calling Shifting the Employee Experience, which has been presented in partnership with the University of New Brunswick College of Extended Learning and with our second partner, Workplace Safety and Prevention Services. So let me tell you a little bit about our two epic sponsors. The University of New Brunswick College of Extended Learning features the online high impact corporate leadership program. Workplace health, safety, wellness and leadership are competencies that significantly impact a workforce. Strengthen these areas are crucial for the success in a corporate environment. Build capacity with your entire team with specialized courses through the UMB online experience. For more information, visit go.umb.ca/icip-podcast. Our second partner for the podcast is Workplace Safety and Prevention Services. It's a not-for-profit organization committed to protecting workers and businesses. WSPS serves the manufacturing, agricultural, and service sectors in Ontario, supporting over 160,000 member firms and 4.1 million workers. WSPS offers unparalleled health and safety expertise, consulting, training, and resources. Their mandate includes helping businesses understand their risks and legal obligations to stay in compliance and build a better and safer workplace. You can find out more on their website at www.wsps.ca or by following them on Twitter at at WSPS news, or by connecting on their LinkedIn company page by searching for workplace safety and prevention services. So thanks to those two sponsors for making this podcast a reality. We're really excited to connect with you next week.